You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly show with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. And today we will talk about overwhelm. And this very often comes in enormous amount of tables that we need to produce in very, very short time frame. And we are asked by our upper management to cut it and by our people we work with, we still want 100, 1000 or whatsoever tables and how we can get out of this conundrum. So stay tuned. <music> this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSA today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video on demand content library, free registration for all PSI webinars, and much, much more. By the way, at the moment, there is the opportunity to submit an abstract to the PSI conference for next year. And this is an outstanding conference. It's one of the conferences that you must attend, at least if you're in Europe. The conference will be in Amsterdam. It's a really, really great location. The conference has been there before COVID and it's really, really lovely. And of course, Amsterdam is an outstanding city. Yeah. So, get your abstract in there. That is the best chance for you to also get a ticket for this really, really great uh, event. By the way, I wouldn't wait with getting the tickets because if you look into the number of registrations last year, that is way bigger than the capacity of the location of this year. Yeah? So last year, I mean 2023, last conference, much bigger registration numbers, and they were sold out, yeah, than what the facility has in 2024 in Amsterdam. So, I will sign up as soon as I can, so I save my spot. If you want to learn more about this, go to psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities, conference, and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician, and today it's just me, Alexander. There is a recurring theme that is happening and that I'm seeing again and again across different companies and for many, many years. And the story always goes in the same way. On one hand, there is the statistics organization and the statistics organization is working a lot on producing tables and these tables have increasing prices and the statistics organization pays a lot for either external vendors or internal resources to create all these tables. And now there is 
increasing cost pressure. And if you think this is a recent development, no, it's not. We have these discussions for decades to cut costs, be more effective, find new ways, all these kind of different things. At the same time, I see prices for producing tables going up. I've recently seen prices per table of more than $3,000. Immense costs. I can still remember when, you know, there were unit prices for repeat tables of less than $100. But yeah, that's, that's another topic. Yeah, and so there's a fight between the stats organization that wants to decrease the number of tables and the people from regulatory, from medical affairs, from HTA, from PRA, from clinical, from all these other areas that want more tables. And this story comes again and again and again. Does it? Is it familiar to you? So I'm just thinking back of, of some time where I was working for a company and they had a new goal. They wanted also to reduce the number of tables. And so they said, for each study, you can only have 250 tables. I think it was about this, this number. Okay. And now there was a colleague who had a list of tables that were more in the range of 800, 900. And that colleague now had this new goal, this new KPI, Key Performance Indicator, of only getting 250 tables. And of course, this person achieved it. Guess what she did? First, she had a discussion, of course, with the counterparts, regulatory people, the medics, and what can we get rid of? Oh, and maybe some tables were not as important. The vast amount of tables she got rid by just renumbering them. Yeah, you know, there's very often these tables that you do by age and gender and pretreatment and whatever other subgroup yeah or you have tables for the questionnaire for the total score and for some subscores things like this and of course in her first counting everything was a individual table and then she said okay everything that is by total and then by subgroup, we make that one table. Yeah, and you just had further rows in there that's that by total and by subgroup XYZ. Or the ones that were for total score and subscore A, subscore B, subscore C, yeah, something that you very often see, for example, in Euroscience or in areas where you have very kind of complex diseases, think lupus or some of the other immunology diseases, things like that. Yeah, You have these 
all these sub symptoms or these special areas. And so there's a lot of way to basically repeat more or less the same table just for a different endpoint or for a different subgroup. Same, of course, by week or, you know, there's so many kind of different things that you can think about how you can organize more or less the same content, the same analysis, just with different endpoints, subgroups and so on. Or you have, for example, different estimates. Yeah, you have one analysis that is policy, one analysis that is on treatment, another analysis that is X, Y, Z. And you have that for similar endpoints again and again. You could combine these into one. Yeah. Ultimately, you could combine probably nearly everything into one table. Yeah. Okay. That's what you get. She got below the 250 threshold. Job done. Another story. I was recently at a company and uh, providing some training. And this company isn't special from all the other com companies. Yeah, Big pharma company. And I see this topic again and again from others as well. And during the training, they said, we always run into the same problem. We have these database logs and we give a certain number of tables that we want. Yeah, Like we only give 20 tables or 30 tables or 40 tables, something like this. And the people that we work with, again, common suspects outside of statistics, they want 60 or 70 or 80 tables. And then we have this, this discussion about how many tables. And of course, we statisticians, we get pressure from upper management, reduce costs, not so many tables. And the other said, yeah, but we need this information. Really, we need more tables. Again and again and again. And how do you get out of it? That is really the problem. We have these established systems that we count tables, that we pay zeros per table, that we have these standard tables, all these kind of different things. And within this system, it's really, really difficult. Yeah? One other aspect of the system is, of course, that the people that you work with, yeah, the people in regulatory or the people in uh, medical or whatsoever, they usually don't pay for these tables. Yeah, this, I've yet to come across a company where there's any kind of internal charging. Oh, yeah, I want these 3,000 tables. And yeah, here is the money that I pay for this. Actually, I know one company where, where that is the case. So you can think from your stats organization really, really careful about what do you get in return. 
And that is not kind of a rhetorical question. No, really think deeply about what you get in return. And we'll get to this a little bit later in this episode. Obviously, there's also a problem here with outsourcing because if you outsource everything and you pay per table, then you have a, you have a problem there. Yeah. Why? Obviously, the first problem is that a table is not a defined entity. What do I mean by this? Have you ever thought about what exactly is a table? I can tell you how long one meter is. And we all agreed on how long one meter is. We all know how heavy one kilogram is. Or pound or mile, whatever you kind of system you work in. We agreed on that. We agreed on how long an hour is. We agreed on what is a euro or a dollar or all these kind of different things. We agreed on lots of lots of different things. I've yet to come a definition over definition what exactly is a table. So the first problem is you negotiate on something that is actually not clearly defined. And now I said the first key word, negotiation. Negotiation is one of the key skills that you need to have to be successful in your job, probably in life. Because you negotiate all the time. You negotiate about promotion, you negotiate about salary increase, you negotiate about going to a conference, you negotiate about about number of tables. And so all your stats skills don't help you. You can be the most amazing brilliant methodological statistician. You can know everything about estimates. We, you can know exactly the details of how an MMRM model runs. You know exactly kind of all these kind of nuances within your therapeutic areas, the different scales and the different symptoms and the different treatments and all these kind of different things. If you don't have good negotiation skills, you'll not succeed. One of the key frameworks within negotiation is the understanding between what is your position, what is the other position, what is your intent, and what is the other side's intent. Now, let me explain you a little bit what I mean by position and intent. And I'll not directly. And let's go to the table examples. Yeah. One side says, I want 20. I will only give you 20 tables. The other side said, but I need 60 tables. These are the two positions. 20 tables versus 60 tables. What they say. That is the position is very often kind of 
clear on the surface. Yeah, it's where the controversy is about, where, you know, the problems arise. Because obviously, these two positions are mutually exclusive. Either it's below 20 or it's above 60. Nobody can win. Yeah, of course, you can find some kind of compromise and say, well, 20, 60, let's split the difference, you get 40, okay? Yeah, you can negotiate that way, yeah? But then nobody really wins, yeah? You have actually doubled the price and the other side still lacks 30% of the information that they need. Not really a good win. The concept about position is that you don't negotiate about the position. What you negotiate about is the intent. Now, the intent is hidden. It is not clearly there. And to explain you kind of what is the what is the intent versus the position, I want to take you out of this table example for a moment. The typical story that is told to understand what is intent versus position is the story of two girls. Two girls fight over an orange. Both want this orange and there's just one. And they fight about it I want this orange. The other girl says, no, I want this orange. Yeah? And they fight about it. And then the father comes and says, please stop fighting. And girl A says, yeah, but I want this orange. And the girl B says, no, I want this orange. And then the father sees, well, these are the two positions. Both girls want the orange. And of course, this is mutually exclusive. Yeah? Either one girl gets the orange or the other girl gets the orange. And of course, you can split the difference like usual. But the father understands the difference between position and intent. And now he uses another important leadership skill, probably the most undervalued skill whatsoever, and that is listening. And listening just doesn't mean just sitting quietly there. Listening also means asking the right questions. So, he does what good negotiators do. They listen. And if you don't believe me that good negotiators listen, scroll back a couple of hundred episodes to an episode with Lucine Mirabi, one of the world's leading negotiators that I was really happy to get on my show just before she came super, you know, how should I say it, super famous, yeah? She has all these, you know, great guys from um, negotiation, these FBI negotiators, these professors on negotiation. She has them all on her podcast, yeah? She is so famous on LinkedIn and has, you know, so many interesting people there and you know, her, her rate of how she's 
growing her following on LinkedIn is, is really amazing. And she, you know, helps these big companies to negotiate and all these kind of different things. When I interviewed her, I asked her, can introverts be good negotiators? And she, she said, absolutely, they can be brilliant negotiators. Because the most important skill in negotiation is listening. Okay, let's go back to the story of the father and the two girls. So he is now listening and he is asking the girls very important question. You need this orange. What do you want to do with it? What's your goal with it? What's your underlying intent? Girl A says, I actually want to produce some orange juice. Girl B says, I actually need something of the skin of the orange for bakery. And now it's pretty obvious what they do. Girl A gets the juice, girl B gets the rest. Both win, you created a win-win situation, both get everything they want, there's no splitting the difference, because both have an intent, and both get clear on the intent. I want to use it for drinking it, and I want to use it because I need it for baking my muffins, whatsoever. And this is exactly what you can do within the tables example as well. Understand what is the underlying intent. For you, as a statistics function, the underlying intent is probably that you want to decrease costs. You don't want to overwork your people. You have just maybe, you know, five people that can work on these tables in this given time frame. And you don't want to have some work on the weekend and these kind of things. Yeah. Okay. This is your intent. These are your constraints. Now let's look at the other side. The other side doesn't need the tables per se. What they usually need is the information within the tables to make certain decisions. When do they need to make these decisions? For what? What exactly do they need? Do they need figures? Do they need exactly the tables? In which format do they need it? All these other things. Yeah? But very often, they don't need 60 tables. They need the information in these 60 tables and they need it for a presentation whatsoever. So have a discussion about what is the intent. And then, now it's not as easy as with the orange example, 
you need to find creative ways to solve this problem. And now there's, a, there's another important leadership aspect, and that is understanding the business. How does the business really work? What can I really do? How do I, for example, create an R-Shiny app? Or how do I negotiate with a vendor? Or all these kind of different things. What can you do to cut costs, maintain your resources, maximize the effect of the resources you have, to get the information in the right format that people can work with it at the right time. What is the other timing? Yeah, maybe there's also room in there. Yeah, maybe the other time a person is, yeah, actually, we need these then because then we give it to our external vendor and they need 20 days to create these figures from it that we need. And you can say, hmm, actually, we could create these figures directly. Then we have 20 more days. How does that sound? And actually, don't, you don't need to pay these other vendor for these figures that cost, I don't know, 5,000k per, or 5k per figure, or more. Hmm, okay. Understand the business. Listen to what is the intent. Find creative ways negotiate. All these things are leadership skills. And when I talk about leadership skills, I don't restrict this to supervisors. Obviously, this is, I never have a talked here about having a direct report, being a supervisor, being a manager, all these different things. No, this is the same at every level, whether you have direct reports or you don't have direct reports. You need to have all these different skills. Let me give you an example of how it could work differently with the tables. Back in the day, I was working on a HTA submission in Germany. And Maybe you have listened to this story here or there on one of the hundreds of episodes here on the podcast. If you haven't, here's the story. There, with a German HTA system, you really need to provide lots of information and actually lots of tables because these tables are predefined format from the GBA, the political decision maker in the German healthcare system. So it is really about getting a good price for your new drug, for your, the new indication of, your new, of a drug. And in this case, because we had so many subgroups, so many endpoints, so many different populations, different ways to analyze the data, we came up with thousands of analysis that we needed to provide. Yeah, just just give it a number, let's say 10,000 tables. Yeah. If you think about 10,000 tables and you would pay for each of these tables 1,000 euros, that's 
10 million euros. Of course, this is an enormous amount of money. And I didn't want to spend this money. Even if I would have it, I wouldn't spend it. Because it is ridiculous. Because most of the tables are really repeat tables. Yeah? And very often you have, and in the situation we actually had, the situation that you need to change a little bit that affects lots of lots of different tables and it's actually not a lot of work yeah if you have created your tables in a you know good way a modular way and then you need to rerun all these tables do you need to pay then another 10 million we actually had that yeah we got the feedback no your population that you looked into is wrong. You should exclude all these different patients and then you can make your case. Oh my God, we needed to rerun thousands of tables and we only had days for it. The good thing was we didn't pay per table. We set up a very, very good working relationship with the CRO. We had lots of face-to-face -face meetings with them. We had lots of interactions with them. We exactly, you know, went through all the different programs. We explained about the background and all these different things. And so there was a very, very high trust. And that led us to get all these thousands of tables update within three days for I think it was you know, don't know two euros per table on average two not two K so we had really really fast timelines we had really High quality, we got a great overview of what has exactly changed. Where are the p-values that are now significant or not significant anymore? Where do we have a different benefit rating according to the German system? We had all this within three days. How? Because we didn't negotiate about number of tables. We negotiated about what exactly do we need. And the other side, well, we, you know, the CRO said we need to contain, of course, cost, we need to make our cut, all these kind of different things. We listen to each other. We understand what was our different intents. We helped each other understand the business. They helped us understand how their programming works, what they can offer, all these kind of different things. We told them, here are the different timelines. These are the things that are non-negotiables. For example, the format of these tables, because that was given by the HDA body. Yeah? So we were very, very clear about the intent. We listened to each other. We were sharing our understanding of the business and we found creative ways to make this happen. So 
as a summary, in order for you to achieve excellence, to cut cost, to increase quality, to increase speed, what you need are leadership skills. You need negotiation skills, like the framework I talked about, intent and position, listening, understanding the business. You need these to be effective. Now, what do you do? Now, you know, okay, you need all these listening skills. Now, there's a couple of different ways how you can increase your leadership skills. One is, of course, you could go back to all the different episodes that I have here about leadership. I have many of them on the podcast. Second is, you probably have a negotiation class, a presentation class, yet another whatsoever uh, training within your organization. And you can go together with your salespeople, your medical people, your people in IT and all these kind of other areas. You can go together to these trainings. And you learn a little bit here, and you learn a little bit there. And bits and pieces, you, you know, put everything together over the next decade. And of course, then you don't get something that is specific for your needs. Yeah, you don't get something that is specifically for statisticians. You get a general leadership training, which is not bad. However, what I have experienced, it is really most helpful if people have a similar background. And of course, we statisticians, data scientists, programmers, we have a similar background. We have typical situations. We have a common skill set. We are very often very detailed, introvert, all these kind of different things. And in order to help you, Gary Sullivan and myself, we have put together a training. A leadership training that has evolved over the last 12, 13, 14 years and is now in a shape that has helped hundreds of statisticians. And we regularly get very, very good feedback on this. Yeah? So at the end of the trainings, we ask participants, how likely would you recommend your training on a score from zero to 10. And the average is always about nine. Nine out of 10. How likely would you recommend it to your peers? So this is not my feedback. This is what other participants have told us about this training. Now you can get this training in two different ways. One is you can contact Gary and myself or myself, and we can have a discussion how we deliver the training within your organization. Yeah, and we have various big companies that have 
been requested this to us and then say, you know, we train 30, 40, 50, whatsoever, or 20, you know, what is the number of statisticians, programmers, data scientists in this area? Or you're just alone and you want to have this training for yourself. And you can go to your supervisor and say, hey, can I get this training? Then, because it's an interactive training, yeah, it's not just, you know, online listening to videos, no. At the moment, we offer this training again for you to join and to get through this training, get all these learnings about leadership skills specifically designed for you. And the training goes over several months and there are nine group discussions where, you know, maximum of 12 people come together and we talk about the different things that we have trained in the videos. So it's a hybrid or how you should say it, blended training, yeah, it consists of self-learning and group discussions. If you're interested in this, you have the opportunity up to 15th of November to enroll into this training. Actually, 14th of November because it starts on the 15th of November. Yeah? So if you want, check theeffectivestatistician.com, find there the courses and get to the leadership program. The leadership with masterminds. So masterminds is what we call these group trainings. And then you can just sign up. So, invest in your leadership skills because this is the one thing that you need to achieve excellence. Yeah. Whenever it is about working together, you will lead, need these leadership skills. Yeah. Having SOPs is all fine. Having MSAs with your zeros, all fine. If you want to get out of these never-ending, reoccurring discussions, you can only do this by gaining new skills. Just trying the same thing again and again will not work. So, do yourself a favor, invest in your skills, invest if you're a supervisor, invest in the skills of your team, of your department, and increase your leadership skills. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and her team at VVS for help with the show in the background, and thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be effective statistics.